welcome everybody back to Dogs and Hogs. I'm your host, Bobby Andrews. We've got Russ Tanner here. We've got a very, very special guest on today. We have got former Georgia head coach Mark Richt. Russ, you played under this man for, for quite some time. Why don't you uh, why don't you do the intro for him? Well, every, everybody expects it to be a love fest with Coach Rick now. You know, he's the beloved, uh, one of the beloved figures of Georgia football. Great man, yada, yada, yada. But I know some things on Coach we might bring out in the show tonight. He uh, he got <laughs> roped into doing this. At a, I asked him at a Bible study we're in together this morning, and uh, he didn't know he was going to be roped into it. And I said, when are you free? He's like, I'll do it sometime for you. He said, when are you thinking? Like, what are you doing tonight? And he paused. He's like, he had no excuse. So here he is. <laughs> I appreciate him. the man who's from the University of Georgia, Coach Mark Rick. Man, we are pumped to uh, to have you on with us tonight, my brother. It's good to be here. I'm glad we finally got her on. Yeah, sorry, everybody, for the technical difficulties. But we are here now. Uh, really happy to have Coach Rick on. Um, coach here from 2001 till 2015, a beloved head coach here. We had people, you know, Russ posted on Facebook. He's like, well, hold, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm I'm beloved now. I wasn't beloved from 2001 to 2015. <laughs> Wait, there there are ebbs and flows, coach. Ebbs and flows. That's right. Uh, ups and ups and downs, right? Ups and downs. That's right. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I mean, you are beloved now. I mean, Russ posted on Facebook, and we posted on the dog vent, a, a, a chat board for UGASports.com, and everybody just just outpouring of of praise for you. Everybody was saying, "Tell Coach we love him. Tell Coach we love him." A lot of people saying that they really look up to you. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that we got that in there for you, Coach, because um, a lot of people. Can I tell a story about that? Yeah. So, Coach, you, you can tell as many stories. We've got – here's the deal. We've got about 100 questions people have sent us to ask you. Yeah, we'll right. probably get a few of them, but you have the free floor to tell most any story you want to, uh, but I may oh, be let me tell you, Let me tell you the truth about the beloved thing, okay? All right, lay it on us. In my back – as you know, Russ, I was asking you about a, a grill to put in my outdoor kitchen. We, we were putting an outdoor kitchen in the back. We wanted to have the brick match, match, match the brick of the house. So we got these guys to lay the brick. Well, there's three guys that show up, two guys laying brick, one guy mixing the mortar. The guy mixing the mortar was on the other side of the garage. His name was Jim. So uh, in the morning, I go to see how everybody's doing and then uh, come back around lunchtime to check on their progress, right? When the morning I see the two guys out there laying brick and I see big Jim there mixing the mortar in the morning, the afternoon, they're all in the same spot. So one of the guys laying bricks said, Hey coach, I hope you have a good sense of humor. I said, why is that? He said, well, Jim over there, when you went to see him this morning, he immediately called his wife because he was so excited. Coach Rick came over and said, hello. And his wife immediately said, did you call him an idiot? And he said, honey, why would I call him an idiot? She said, well, that's what you were screaming at the television for the last 15 years. <laughs> so that's that's beloved right there, buddy. Uh, well, it, yeah, well, you, you've been around long enough. You know a lot of the people who are saying they love you. They may have yelled at <laughs> no, you. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But that, 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 is a true, that is a true story. Well, you, you know, I, I know that um, – it's beloved. Look, you're you're beloved because of the type of man you are, and we're gonna hit on some of that tonight. I mean, you're you're a you're a great man who's meant a lot to me personally. Um, I think what you've stood for in life, the way that you and your family carried yourselves, have meant meant a ton a ton to everybody in the in the Bulldog Nation. But you know, let, let's just look at just strictly football for just a minute, right? I mean, you came in at a time for Georgia to when 
I mean, you were you were the guy. How old were you in 01, Coach? 2000, 2001, when you got hired at Georgia? Uh, 40. So 40. So you were still a fairly young coach overall. You've been under Coach Bowden for a long time. You know, Florida State, we've talked about on the show before, you know, Florida State was the team of the 90s. Everybody loved watching them. And you you were the guy. So, you know, the Coach Don and his staff, we love Coach Don, a friend of the show. You know, they'd done some good, some good things at Georgia, didn't quite get where they wanted to. And, you know, he and his staff were asked to, to move on. So then when you came in, there was so much excitement in the program. And then it was kind of this idea about the program was kind of – there was so much potential within the University of Georgia. And I, I think you were the first guy in the modern era of college football to kind of put Georgia where we think it can be, put us on this uh, this path or on. And, and I firmly believe, by the way, if it wasn't for the crappy BCS that was in place back then, that you would be talking to a man right here as one of the uh, <laughs> national championship coaches there. So – Coach, here's your first. Here's your first question. Of all the teams you coached at Georgia, if you'd have made it, if there'd have been a four-team playoff or twelve-team playoff, which team do you think would have had the best shot at winning a national championship? Right. So, which team uh, do you think, Coach? Of, uh, it's coach? hard to say. There's a lot of really good ones for sure. It's like asking which one of your kids do you love most, you know? But uh, you know, the team. Uh, the one where we lost Alabama what was at 12 or 13 or one of them years. Yep. Uh, if we'd have won that game against Bama, which we lost close, we would have won the national championship against Notre Dame, I believe. Uh, we know we obviously didn't play Notre Dame, but if we did, I think we had a good shot at beating them. That, that team would be one of them. And then I think 2002 would be the other one if I just had to pick and stab without thinking everything through. I'd, I'd say those two teams – it had been a pretty good war against those, each other. So, so back 02, I, you should have said 05, my senior season. I still firmly, <laughs> probably because I was a senior, I, I firmly believe that we would have won it that year. But, you know, 05 we, was we, pretty strong. <laughs> we, just, we, we didn't show up in the first half against West Virginia for whatever reason in that, in that Sugar Bowl. But yeah, it was a great team. Coach, talk. Well, what, what was the year? What was the year we, uh, what was the year we played Hawaii? Oh, that was 07, I think. 07. That was a, by the end of the year, that team was pretty good too. So yeah, that was with Stafford. 05, 07, 12, 2002. Those are those are my final fours, probably. I like it. All right, why was why Georgia? You were coming out. You had you you were a lot like I think Kirby when Kirby was under Saban, top assistant, top lieutenant under the man, coach Bound forever. You had a lot of opportunities, but you bided your time. You waited, and then Georgia coach Dooley came knocking, and you said yes. Why, why Georgia? 2000, year 2000, why Georgia? Right. Well, five years prior to getting the job at Georgia, I got interviewed for a couple head jobs, uh, Pittsburgh being one of them. And uh, the AD at Pittsburgh at the, at the time came to me and said, look, uh, if you want to spend the night with your wife here and we got a basketball game tomorrow, I can introduce you as the next head coach at Pittsburgh. And uh, to my surprise, my wife said, Catherine said, let's do it, you know, in, in private. And so I started to think about, you know, taking on that job and taking on that responsibility. And I, I really felt like a couple of things. Number one, God was saying, you're not ready, but you need to get ready. And so I think it was part of the process of being ready to go and, and make that leap. I, the other thing was being with Coach Bowden for 15 years I understood the value of of uh, just being at a place for a long time. I mean, you know, being able to 
have players come back five and 10 years down, you know, later on in their life and come back to find the same coach. I saw a lot of value in that. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, if I ever do take a head job, I want to take one where I'm not going to want to use it as a stepping stone for the next job. So, you know, Pittsburgh in my mind was a job that I wasn't sure that that's where I wanted to, you know, drop anchor for the rest of my life. And uh, until I found a school that I thought would be that way, uh, be that type of school, that type of city for our family, I was just going to stick stick with Coach Bowden and keep doing the best I could. And, and by then, I'd become a believer. And, I mean, my, my goal wasn't to be head coach. My goal was just to try to live a life that was pleasing to God and do the best I could, you know, every day. So we enjoyed it in Tallahassee. We were in no rush to get out of there. But we, but you know, when I told Catherine that I didn't want to take the pit job, she goes, "Well, what kind of place are you talking about that you would go to?" And I said, "Well, places like Clemson, places like Georgia." And uh, so even even five years prior, when when Coach Donnan actually was getting hired at that same moment, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, Georgia was the kind of job in my mind. I felt like, hey, if something like that comes down the pipe. We'll have to seriously consider that. Mm. Well, I think you dodged a bullet not going to Pittsburgh. Man, it's too cold <laughs> up there. Brother, I mean, we are, and there's a lot of people watching this tonight that's really glad you decided to wear the red and black. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny. When I was trying to decide where I wanted to go when Coach Rick came in, you know, Georgia didn't have a coach my senior year. Uh, after my senior year, so Coach Rick came in, and I said I was going to think about it, pray about it. And I went and picked up my FCA Bible. And the FCA Bible that year was red and black. I was like, the good Lord is speaking. He it Mark Rick. So, yeah, there we well, go. Well, good thing it wasn't orange and blue because that, that's where you were leaning. <laughs> I'm glad oh, that your your connection just uh, burbed out a little bit there because I think you said I tried to be a Florida Gator. And uh, you are right. But I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad you talked me out of it. I'm glad you were. No, I said I'm glad I'm glad. The, I said I'm glad the Bible wasn't orange and blue. I heard you. All right. <laughs> you would gone to Florida for sure. And that had been one of the worst days of my life to have a kid from Wrightsville, Georgia, <laughs> and, and the home of Herschel Walker and not go to Georgia and go to Florida over, over Georgia. That had been a big blow for me. So when you said yes, I was pretty fired up. <laughs> so co Coach has told me that story before. And I, and I asked him, I was like, he told me, so you were, you were one of the, the recruits that got me the most excited. And, my ego, you know, it's this young, red-blooded American, type A, big recruit in my mind. Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, coach needed a cornerstone for the team. And I said, coach, why, why are you so excited? What did he just say? He's like, if I couldn't get an old country bunk from Wrightsville, Georgia, to come <laughs> up here, I might as well go to Pittsburgh, I guess. So, yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you gave me an offer, man. I really am. I think it turned out pretty good for both of us. I think there's – Yeah, I'm glad you said yes. Meet your dad. That was you. Yes, you're exactly right. I think there's something that a, a lot of fans kind of want to hear about. Um, something that that I kind of want to hear about too. I want to hear your opinion on the excessive celebration against Florida <laughs> in 2007. You know, there's been some some things said. Russ has told us the story about it, but I want to hear it from you, Coach Rick. Tell me about the the what went down that caused the excessive celebration against Florida in 07. All right, here's how here's how it all started. It all it all started at Florida State when I was the offensive coordinator, and we were kind of beating down everybody in the ACC when we first joined the league, to the point where we'd win a we'd win the league, 
and the, after winning the game, we'd be in the locker room and it was kind of a whole home thing. No one, no one jumped up and down or celebrated. It was just kind of like we expected to win. And it just, there's no joy. There's no, there's no juice. And uh, so, you know, we were in, we were in that kind of a lull at Florida state of not having, not celebrating any kind of victory or any kind of touchdown or anything else. I said to the offensive team, I said, this next ball game, the first time we score, I want y'all to celebrate hard enough to get a penalty. And that's when the excessive celebration was a, a new rule and a big and all that. So I said, hey, don't coach about I got you covered if you guys rush the, not rush the field, but if you the 11 guys on the field celebrate hard enough to get a flag, if, you, if, if they didn't celebrate hard enough to get a flag, I was going to run the whole bunch. That's what I did at Florida State. Well, fast forward to Georgia, 2007, and we go play Vanderbilt. We always have an open date after Vanderbilt, and then we play Florida. We we play Vanderbilt, and we got no juice whatsoever. It, it, we, we kick a last-second field goal to barely beat Vandy. And I'm thinking, if something doesn't change here, we're going to get road-graded by, by the Gators, and uh, with or without Russ Tanner. But anyway, uh, we uh, – so – I'm like, I got to do something here. So what I did is I said, hey, look, when we play the Gators, the first time we score, I want you all to celebrate hard enough to get a penalty. Well, this is like with two weeks to go before the game because we had the open date. And throughout that practice during that time frame, if the offense scored against the scout team, whoever scored might do a dance or spin the ball or spike the ball or the goalpost or do some kind of – individual celebration well i didn't really like that that kind of got in my craw if you know what a craw is i really don't know what it is but anyway it, it pissed me off so i'm thinking i gotta i gotta set the record straight with these guys so the night before the game i get with the guys and say look here's the deal two things i said number one i mentioned celebrating after the first score and we're gonna do that but if we don't score to the fourth quarter and we're getting beat by 40, we're not celebrating. That's number one. It has to happen in the first quarter. I said, number two, all I've seen is a bunch of individual celebrations. I want to see a team celebration. And if it's, if it's, if it's not a team celebration and you don't celebrate hard enough, I'm running, I'm running everybody. Well, when I said team celebration, they thought I meant the whole team <laughs> in, in truth. I, in truth, I meant just the guy, the team on the field at the just time, right? <laughs> so anyway, we kick we we kick off to the Gators. I think they fumbled the ball on their first drive, and we hand the ball to Noshan Moreno three or four or five times in a row and get to get to goal from the one yard line, right? So we hand it to Noshan. Noshan reaches the ball over the refs throw their hands up, and I start to see the guys celebrate on the field, which I expected. And then I just felt a whoosh going by me of another 50 guys or however many was uh, rushing, running on the field and started dancing around. Well, I had no idea what the heck was going on, and I was, like, truly bewildered. There was only one – I said everybody ran on the field. There was one guy stayed next to me. That was Daniel Eller standing by me uh, on the sideline. I go, I said, why aren't you out there? He said, Coach, I'm so deep on your dog, guys. There's no way. I'm going out there on the field. So anyway, long story short, we we not only got one celebration penalty, we celebrated so hard we got two. 
So we had a kickoff from the seventh yard line after the four. But the one thing a lot of people don't remember is that play went to review. And by the grace of God, you know, the referees concurred that it was a touchdown because if it wasn't in third and 31, uh, and we probably wouldn't have scored, and that probably would have been the last time I coached in Georgia. Yeah, you're right. That is that is a detail that very fortunately has gotten left out of all our collective memories. I had no idea there was a pin after that play. So uh, that you know, it's funny the things everybody remembers and grabs onto for uh, for for those memories. So, coach, we we didn't back when we were there in 01, 02, 05, all through those times. You know, there wasn't all the cell phones, wasn't all the live streams and videos and all that. If there had have been instagram live or youtube live or camera phones in the locker room after the hobnail boot game in neyland stadium what would the fans have seen you do <laughs> well everybody was going nuts everybody's jumping around i remember i remember chappie kevin hines our team chaplain he was a first year chaplain with us and uh well actually probably the second year uh but no excuse me that was that was year one for for me for yeah us. first year yeah so we're, we're all in there celebrating and chappy he knows nothing he knows absolutely nothing about football right so <laughs> he didn't he didn't understand what he had just witnessed and he saw everybody celebrating he's in there crying and everybody's just going nuts but finally settles down and i start to address the team i said you know i started to try to talk about what had just happened and um and then one of the guys stood up. I can't remember who it was. And everybody's standing up. But one one guy spoke up and said, "Hey, coach, we finished the drill." And I said, "That's that's exactly right. We finished the drill." And uh, what what that's talking about, as you know, Russ, is the mat drills we used to do, our off-season conditioning that was pretty brutal, and to the point where uh, most guys, what the hell they signed up for. And you might want to go into more detail somewhere along the line with what mad drills were all about, but a big part of mad drills were, was finishing the drill. Every drill had a finish line, and uh, everybody was supposed to finish as hard as they started. If not, they had to go back and do it again. And uh, so we were trying to hammer home the point that no matter what we do in life, we're going to finish finish what we start. And uh, when that was uh, said in the locker room by one of the there's, uh, it kind of became our mantra, our, our war cry for the next few years anyway. Yeah. I, I do wish you would have figured out a different way to teach that lesson other than mat drills because they absolutely stunk <laughs> and nobody liked them. Mat drills were our preseason condition. They happen in February or so every year. And we had to be in the gym at 5 o'clock a.m. Lined up. Perfect. Coach, you'd have been proud. I actually made some, some of my guys do Band of Brothers push-ups this week actually in honor of <laughs> but it was about an hour of just absolute misery as far as speed and agility stuff and you would go through the mats and your five guys had to go the five guys in front of you had to be perfect the five guys behind you had to be perfect and football is such a unique sport because it's not like basketball where lebron can take over it's not like baseball where you know you can get a pitcher that's just smoking people one a cleanup hit it just crushes and wins the game in football you got to have 11 guys on the same page every play doing their job or else your team is not be not going to be very successful if one guy messes up the entire team suffers and that was kind of kind of what the the thing for mat drills was but so it was all this stuff you had to chop your feet and my wife we were married my senior year in college and we were engaged 
during the time when I did my last mat drills. And I was at her apartment one day, <laughs> exhausted. And I, she said, I fell asleep on the floor like this. And all of a sudden, she said, I popped up and my eyes were closed. She said, baby, look what I can do. And I did my hands like this. I was chopping my feet in my sleep. Co freaking Coach Rick had me dreaming about mat drills in July <laughs> for no reason. So, yeah, maybe there's a different way to teach that. But, no, it was great, man. I mean, I look back at just the mental fortitude that you made our team have going through that crap. It was huge, and it paid off for us in, in some major, major games. There's no doubt. And it was something that we did at Florida State, and I learned from Coach Bowden. And when I was an assistant coach, there were, there were some mornings where, I mean, coaches hated him too now. Don't don't think that we loved doing that. It was just, oh, yeah, they were sour. It was, it was hard on everybody. Sour. But, uh, but uh, we uh, – I, I remember as an assistant coach at times thinking, is this really necessary? Do we really need this? And uh, then when I became head coach, it was uh, imperative that we needed to, you know, set the standard – in a lot of ways and just let the guys know that you're going to do it a certain way or you're going to, you know, you're going to walk, you know, walk out the door. And if you do, then we'll find somebody else. But um, not many guys walked out the door. There was, there was a few classic moments here and there, but for the most part, everybody hung in there and did them. They did. Yeah. We've got some fan questions rolling in. Like I said, Russ asked some questions on, on the chat board and everything. So Roddy's behind the scenes. He'll pull some up here from some people. Um, let's see. So, Coach, what, one question here. What was your favorite win while you were the coach at Georgia? And all the years you were there, won a lot of games. Right. What was your favorite? If you look back on it, one that really uh, – Well, the one we're talking about, the Hobnell Boot game in Tennessee, it was a, a huge victory for Georgia, period. Had lost nine out of, la nine out of the last ten games to Tennessee – but and the Tennessee team was a hell of a team that year. That they actually went to the SEC championship, and if they'd have won it, they'd have played for the national championship. So that loss didn't really keep them from going to play for the national championship. Losing in the SEC championship was, but you know, I'm a, I'm a first year head coach. I'm a first year head coach in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, you know, we got a brand new, we got a uh, true, uh, excuse me, redshirt freshman quarterback in Green. You know, we had a lot of a lot of question marks uh, about the team, about the staff, and for us to win the game the way we did, as you remember, we you know we were winning the game, looked like it was over, then they scored on a like a 90-yard screen pass, and a couple less than a couple minutes to go, we come back and win the game, uh, manage the clock extremely well, do all the things right, coaching-wise, do all the right things, playing-wise, execution-wise. And it, it gave us some credibility, I think, with the with the team, with with the with the fans, with the university in general, with the media. Uh, it, it it kind of helped us uh, get to the point where people thought maybe we knew what we were doing a little bit. So so I've got a follow up question with you before we go to the fan question. Then so you talk about that some and and. That 01 season, your your first year, and you just talked about some of the challenges coming in. I'm sure there were doubts. I'm sure there were times when you weren't very sure. Like, how how do you manage that? Like, you were the man. You were on you were on top of the world as far as the coaching world and college football is concerned. And you're you're at a time where you're being questioned. There's a lot of things you don't know. Like, how do, how do you manage those ups and downs? Like, especially from the seat you were in as a head coach at Georgia. Right. Well, what you got for me, uh, you know, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made, obviously, as a head coach and, and everybody in life has a lot of decisions to make. And 
you got to decide, in my opinion, who are you going to please with your decision? Are you gonna, like if you're the head coach, you try to please the players, you try to please the parents, you try to please your AD, the the media, the media, the fan base. I mean, who are you going to please with what you do? Because you can try to shoot for the popular, what you think is the most popular decision or what you think is the right thing to do. Well, well, how do you know what the right thing to do is? I mean, for me, you know, I always took things to prayer. And uh, if I had time to pray it through, you know, when I got peace on something, you know, I would go in that direction. Sometimes you got to make a decision quickly. You don't have time to, you know, pray and, and wait. You got to make that call. So you're hoping at that point you're in a good, in a good, uh, relationship with the Lord that the decision you made quickly would be the one he would be pleased with. So the goal for me was to try to do what I thought was right uh, in God's eyes, but also what I thought was in the best interest of the team. How about they apples? Yeah. That's an answer, man. All right. Flip side of that. We've talked about the ups and the downs of it here. So that the question that, that one of our guys asked was like, what was your favorite win? What, what was the loss you look back on that hurt the most when you look back at your time as coach? You were like, man, that one hurt. Right. Well, I just mentioned, the, 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 I guess it was 2012. And I think it was maybe hurtful to the fans. <laughs> you know, of my 15 years at Georgia, that probably hurt the fan base the, worst, the most too. Because we had a, an opportunity to win that game. We we played a really good Alabama team, but – we, you know, we we had them be, uh, we had the lead, lead in the game, and we ended up losing it. And then we started driving the ball. And long story short, as most people remember, fans remember, ball gets battered at the line of scrimmage, pops up in the air, receiver catches the ball, gets tackled short of the goal line, we lose the game. And the you know significance of losing that game, obviously, that was a de facto playoff game. Whoever won that game was going to play Notre Dame for everything. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, we probably had a good, pretty good shot at winning that game. I know Alabama handled them, you know, pretty easily that particular year. So that that's the one – that's the game that hurt the most. But the decision the, – the worst coaching decision that I ever made uh, was 2014 Georgia Tech uh, at home with Hudson Mason as the quarterback where – we uh, were late in the game. We're losing. Hudson Texas down the field, throw a touchdown pass with about 18 seconds to go in the game, and uh, we got the th- we got a three point lead. And it looks like we're going to win the game. So, special team coach comes to me and wants to know what we want to do, whether we could kick it deep or not. I said I said I want a squib kick. Oh no! He said a squib kick. I said yeah, I want a squib kick. Well, in my little pea brain, what I really wanted was a pooch kick. A squib kick is when you kick it low, hard line drive kick. Kick is where you pop it up and you drop it in around the ten yard line or so, and a big fat fullback or tight end catches the He's not going to be able to return it for a touchdown. So, I really wanted to. I wanted to pooch, but I said, I said, I know for a fact. I asked for a squib. So he said, "Okay, coach, that's what, that's what we you squib want." It. And it all that far. And uh, so they get the ball with about, I don't know, maybe 18, 15 seconds, whatever it was. They drop the pass. Nobody's open. They scramble for across the yard line with enough time for one more play. And then Harrison Butker, their kicker, gets a chance to kick of like a 47, 53-yard, 54-yard. I don't know how far it was, but it was too damn far for him to make. But he, he drills it. 
and and I hate I hate I hate I hate Harrison Bucker by the way because uh, he made that <laughs> kick. But uh, uh, actually, it's it's there's a difference between real human being hate and football hate. I football hate that guy. Okay, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. Coach, who are, who are maybe two other well, people you, know, you football hey, hate? Who are like two other people you football hate then? <laughs> I can't tell you. All right. Harrison Bucker's lucky in the top three for sure. Harrison Bucker kicks it and ties the game. So we go to overtime, and in the end, they score. We have to try to score, match a touchdown. We don't. We, Hudson, on his last play of his career, throws a pick. And, you know, so I'm miserable for the team, and I'm especially miserable for Hudson. Because here's the team. You know, Hudson's a Marietta kid. He's from Atlanta. We're playing the Atlanta team. And he had bragging rights for the rest of his life on that game-winning drive that I screwed up with a squib kick. So that that was the worst coaching decision that I've ever made. Uh, and I, it still hurts, quite frankly. <laughs> well, all right. I'm going to bring it back up to a more fun thing for a second. You get your next question. I've got two for Coach real quick. I'm ready. All right, Coach. What is your favorite snack food? What's your favorite junk food to eat? Woo. Um, well, it depends on what you consider junk food, quite frankly. But no, I'm not uh, talking fast food. I'm talking about something packaged that you could just sit down and eat like eight pounds of it one time. I know well, the answer by the way, it's cheese balls. Well, it was cheese balls until I had a heart attack. So what? I kind of backed off the cheese ball thing. <laughs> uh, what I eat now is these uh, these flat pretzels that you can get with buffalo wing uh, flavor on it. That's that's my go. That's my go to now. All right. So you moved off a of cheese ball. Not, not a whole lot. Not a not a not a whole lot better than cheese balls. But uh, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll admit when I'm in the grocery store and if I walk by a, a big barrel of the cheese balls, I, I get the shakes. And uh, I have a hard time not not grabbing one, but you know, after that heart attack, I've I've learned to take it easy on the cheese balls. What's the greatest movie of all time? Nacho Libre. <laughs> you didn't know I was gonna say that one, did you, Bobby? I had no idea. Oh my! What's goodness. your favorite? What's your favorite line from Nacho Libre? Do you have one? Uh oh. Ah. Uh... That's unbelievable. I can't think of. I can't find right this minute. He, if you watch Nacho uh, Libre with Coach, by the way, I'll think of it because the show's over. So we'll put that one on. Put that one on hold. All right, that's good. All right, we had this question. I can from quote Matthew them all. Adams. <laughs> yeah, you got to be sitting in front of the movie. I hear you. I hear you. We had this question from on on Russ's Facebook from Matthew Adams. Uh, he said, you used to go up to every player during warm-ups and say something to each player. What did you used to tell everyone? And what did uh, what did you used to say to Russ, too? I'm sure Russ could tell us some – give us some insight on that as well. But what did you say to all your players when you went down the line during right. warm-ups? Well, uh, most of the time it was just anything to think of to motivate them, just tell them they're ready, to let them know I love them, let them know. You know, to focus on what's most important that's doing their job down by down, play by play. Uh, Russ, I told him just to stop daydreaming about his days when I told Russ. 
You lie, you lying dog. You you getting in your old age just lying. You know what he said? Lie and deny. Lie and deny. deny. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need we don't need to bring that up again. Lie and deny. Uh, Coach Rick talking about he yeah, all those guys, AJ Green. (laughs) Lie and deny, baby. All right, Coach Tyson Brandon wanna know why did you not let him throw the halfback pass they put in one year? I also talked to Tyson today and he told me something off the record about Coach. We had a right handed Well, if I'm not mistaken, practiced a half-pass. We had a right-handed guy and a left-handed guy because if you want to call that play and the field is to the left, left-handed running back. If you if you want to if if you're on the left and you get the field to the right, you want the back to be run. He's going to throw the ball right-hand. So I can't remember if tight right or left-handed. But he handed it when we decided to throw the thing. So that's that's he didn't get his shot. <laughs> All right, do you have another one, Bobby? Go yeah. ahead. We had this question from Lauren Roddy Cash on Facebook. What is one thing on your bucket list that you want to that you want to do? Uh, well, I truly have lived such a full life and uh, we've been able to do so many things. I'm talking about my wife, Catherine, uh, lived through so many experiences. A lot of it had to do with, with football. You know, the 15 years at Florida State were just, well, I mean, as a coach, coaching on a couple of national championship teams, Heisman Trophy winners, you know, winning conferences. And, and you know, really, we went, we went 14 years before. At Florida, and you get a chance to go to Georgia and one of the greatest universities in the in the country and and had the success that we had, even though we didn't quite to the very top of the mountain, we got close. And then I got to coach uh, three years at my alma mater, Parkinson's hit. But uh, and then all the things that we got to do as a family, um, we just we've just been thoroughly blessed along the way. So, I mean, my focus now is just trying to be a good father and a good grandfather and and then also doing the very best I can to spread the gospel because, you know, I mean, you get a, you have a heart attack uh, scenario like I lived through. I mean, you realize for sure, without a doubt, there's only one thing, one, also only one thing that's important at that moment. That's where you're going when you die. And uh, if you know you're going to heaven because of what Christ did for you, that's that's the most important thing by far, and I just want to spread the good news as much as I can while while I still can. Amen to that, Coach. Yeah, you you thought you were gone with that heart attack, right? You thought that was it, right? Yeah, I mean everything blacked out, and uh, I kind of went into a state of um, I I don't know if it was an out of body experience or not, but my, in my peace, I mean in my spirit. Uh, I had peace, knowing where I was going. I was actually excited to go see Jesus. I was like, "Here, I come!" And uh, you know, my body—I could hear my body in the background, kind of gasping for her, trying to live. But in my spirit, uh, I felt like I was on the way, and I was very thankful for the decision I made in 1986 to follow Christ because I had an unbelievable peace at that moment. And, uh, and then the—I uh, heard a voice, "Wake up!" And uh, I wasn't just Jesus or Satan, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was it was the first, but 
Anyway, uh, <laughs> after that episode, I was very excited and thankful. Uh, you know, I was thankful not so much that I lived, to be honest with you, because I was ready to go. I was thankful uh, that um, of, the, of the peace that I had and then the excitement to to support. What would have happened when you were coming out of that that time? You heard wake up. And if you woke up and Chappie was giving you mouth-to-mouth CPR. <laughs> oh, that that would probably started another cardiac arrest right there. <laughs> uh, oh, oh no, Chappie. If we could a picture of him one day and see how how afraid a human being besides my sister would be to uh, have this guy give mouth-to-mouth. <laughs> All right, let, let's let's flip and talk to Coach about this kind of current college football for a minute. I, I want to get his thoughts. I know we got a lot of questions I'm for him with that. So dying to hear about his stance on the NIL so, right now. So, Coach, thinking about this this whole NIL stuff now, the transfer portal. You know, you and I talked a little bit this afternoon with with kind right. of the the Georgia and I kind of frothing at the mouth. You know, uh, Caleb Downs, five star plus safety at Bama, freshman All American, a guy that Georgia wanted as bad as anybody they've ever wanted recruiting wise into Kirby. Went to Bama, led their team in tackles, went in the portal today, and you know I don't I don't know how like Coach DeBoer, the new guy at Bama, how he deals with it because you know you've got a guy like that who's like he's looking at his future, making right. a decision, thinking what's better for me to stay at Bama where I'm not sure it's going to be or go to Georgia where Kirby, Muschamp, Tavares Robinson are going to be there. I mean. It, Talk about that a second, Coach, from the Kirby side, right. of potentially, and the Coach DeBoer side. And it doesn't have necessarily be about Caleb Down specifically, right. but this whole idea about your top-end guys right. hitting the portal. Well, the players obviously have more leverage than they ever dreamed they'd have uh, in the history of college football. And, uh, you know, so all of a sudden these guys can make money while they're in college. And... Um, you know, there was there's a lot of guys making in college before the NIL. They just were getting the money illegally. But uh, anyway, this the, the bottom line is it's very commonplace for a player to be able to get the uh, the money that they're getting now. I say it's easy. I mean, they they earn the right to earn, get through performance and high performance at a somewhere in college, and then the could transfer uh it's the free agency uh, unrestricted free agent with no salary cap that's what's happening right now so coaches are recruiting high school kids they're recruiting college kids they're recruiting kids in the portal they're recruiting own kids when the portal opens up and 25 guys on your team come and say that are nil deal or i'm gonna i'm that's that's not compared to, you know, what you used to be to handle a job that was too hard to begin with, as it as it was, and now it's even it's even so, you know, where's it coming from? Who 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 provides the money? You know, which school can provide the most? I mean, it's supposed to be illegal to cut a deal prior to a guy being on your campus, but supposedly on your campus and then you could work out an nil deal well we all know that's not happening these deals being cut before these guys go so now a coach it was already hard enough to create team unity all right but nothing tougher because everybody's with their own personal brand 
not as much about the team. I'm not saying there aren't team guys, because there are, but it's it's changing uh, the way I think as far as being to a team and part of being loyal was like that you had to sit out, sit out a year. Now there's no deterrence. So, you know, it's difficult to create a team atmosphere and keep it uh, when everybody's comparing notes on what and who's not getting what. So it's it's a, a, just a, a massive uh, headache to try to manage. You know, the guys that manage it the best, instead of crying about it, have the having success and you know Kirby obviously is one of the best you're doing that yeah I mean I, I, I don't like it I mean I don't I'll, I'll just say I don't like the current setup of NIL and the transfer portal like Kittrick says unrestricted free agency with no cap which yeah. is a ridiculous way to try to run a business and that but I think you know, I think it's interesting to hear these guys like coach Rick who are who have more knowledge of college football than any of us than everybody else in this chat combined will ever ever dream about having and, you know, he talks about something that I don't think gets talked about enough is this whole thing about building team unity. You get guys that come in together. You get guys like like our group, 2001. We came in there. They had us running stadiums. We end up in the shower right. asking if we could all quit at the same time together. But we right. go through those valleys. Then we go through the peaks of the SC championship games, the ups and downs. You build bonds and brotherhoods that can't be simulated through any other way of life, or it's really hard to. And now you've got a, a lot more of a mercenary situation where these guys are dropping in. Now, don't get me wrong. If if we're playing with the rules of mercenaries allowed, I want Caleb Downs from Georgia. I want the top-end talent, the best player yep. at his position out there right. to play for my team. But overall, they're going to have to change Well, next let's year. look at this, too. Let's look. All right. Well, sorry to interrupt. I, I thought you were finished. Yeah, you got a couple it. Of, excuse me, a couple of other things on that. Let's think about Think about DJ Shockley. All right, DJ Shockley playing green four seasons. His redshirt fifth year gets to be the starter, SEC. Ends up playing pro ball. Uh, you know, is, is, is you're talking about being beloved by the Georgia fan for the rest of his life. You know, he he has that because he stuck it out. And back in that era, more of a chance of a guy doing that than, than today. The chance of that happening today is slim to none, no matter what a great guy you are, you know. And I'm, I'm not saying it's bad to transfer and get an opportunity to get the money and to, to find a better situation for them. The other thing is the discipline of a team. I mean, if you're trying to teach lessons in, in life, you, you, and you have to discipline him to get his attention. I mean, Russ, I've had more guys call me, text me, whatever, and 15 years down after the program to say, Coach, still loving me enough to, to discipline me. Needed it. It changed my course of how I, how I, how I handled my life. And, uh, you know, nowadays, if they at all, uh, got Bolton, they're out. They're in the train portal. And they're not going to the discipline of the coaches. I'm sure are, are afraid to discipline these guys for fear that they may leave. And when you have that kind of situation, plus it's a problem. The, the obstacles that there are to build team, uh, it's, it's more of an art than it's ever been to try to do that. And, and, you know, let's give credit where credit's due, you know, coach smart again, and then in this home has done a very good, you know, just, 
any people opting out of the bowl game, not people going pro uh, earlier than they should go. And that, that be, that's because there's a lot of uh, between the co-players and the guys that have seen success of the guys that came before them and know if they just fight, good things will happen. And Coach, we are in an era where me and Russ have sat here on the show. We've talked about it before about college football has kind of become, you know, the junior NFL. It's it's lost its amateurism. How with all this NIL stuff and the transfer portal, in your opinion, how do you think that we can bring back some of that amateurism or is the cat out of the bag and there's no way to put it back back in? I don't I don't think you can put it back in by any means. You know, that does have restricted free agency. It has caps because 32 teams agree to be under a collective bargaining agreement. Well, you're never going to get the entire United States of America, uh, all the football team, all the conferences, all the states to all agree on some kind of collective agreement. You know, that's need to do, but to try to get that done, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, what it would take to get that done. So I think it's, it's, it's the new normal. They may try to get some kind of caps kind of way, but without someone to earn money, it's very difficult to to restrict their earnings without their consent. And guys in the NFL, they they consent to the collective bargaining agreement, and in the in college, there's no such thing. So it's going to be very to straighten out. Uh, I think it's you know everybody's just hanging on for right now. To be honest with you. I mean, he's exactly right. I don't think the cat's going back in the bag. They'll put they'll put guardrails up on it at some point. They'll figure out what to make something more fair, but it's probably going to be the super conferences. And look, Coach Saban retired last week. We talked about on the show last week. You know, the goat is leaving the game. Saban told everybody five or six years ago when they started talking about all this portal stuff, nil stuff. He's like, go for it, but just so you know, people like Alabama, people like Georgia, people like Ohio State, Michigan is going to get stronger than everybody else. They have more resources, more talent, more tradition. The the rich will get richer under the system where it's currently at. You know, and I know that Roddy's talked on here before about Georgia's NIL and says stuff like, well, Georgia had the NIL of some of the other places, maybe the, the Texas A&Ms of the world, whatever. It's pretty amazing when a kid like Caleb Downs comes in, though. Georgia has the resources to make the phone calls to say we need X amount of dollars for NIL for Caleb Downs, and the money shows up. When you have the network and the resources that Georgia's, Bama's, Ohio State's, Michigan's, whoever it has, it's impossible for some of your smaller schools to compete. They simply cannot do it from a resources, money, time, all that standpoint. It's, it's not going to happen. The gap's only going to get wider until they figure it out. And, again, I'm glad that I wear the red and black on Saturdays and not some other crappy team's color because Georgia is positioned really, really well for it. But, yeah, it is what it is. Coach. Let's, let's, let's think about college football totality. You know, bottom line is, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that probably quit playing football and a lot of kids that will miss out on that experience. And uh, it's going to be a sad thing that happens. So, you know, there's a way to save the other teams that aren't in these power conferences, once it, all the dust settles, uh, and then the kids that can play the game, the game, and for the lessons from the game. And so we that desperately, 
in our country because we're raising a bunch of soft guys, quite frankly, from what I see looking around. Football is one of the things in America tough for young to fight through. I think so. We need, we need football in America from, from Little League to high school through all, all the colleges in America. Amen. All right. We're getting ready to wrap up here in a few minutes. We don't have much longer left. Coach has been gracious with his time. All right. Think back whenever you played college football, 1930, 1940, whatever year it was you were in, you were playing college football coach. If you could have got an NIL deal from a company back then, who would Mark Rick have chosen to be his NIL sponsor when you were in college? Well, I had a commercial when I was in college. They were called Jesus Jeans. How, as erotic as that was, because I was about as far from Jesus as you could get. Uh, made in, in like some South American countries, so they were like Jesus jeans. But the bottom line is there's a commercial of me actually jumping on a trampoline with my Jesus jeans and no shirt. And it, it is the, I mean, it's the sexiest thing in the history of commercials. And I can't imagine how much money I'd have made selling Jesus jeans back in the day. Roddy, I know you're watching. Listen, if you can find a picture of Coach Rick wearing <laughs> Jesus jeans before yeah. we go off of this show tonight, put it on the screen. Like, it is worth whatever you can find. Oh so, please, gosh. Roddy. Because I've seen – Coach had the feathered hair I think and you can find it. On, I think you can find it on YouTube. On YouTube. All right. Well, I, I hope for your sake he can't find it because we got a lot of people watching the show tonight, and uh, you are beloved. So if they see you jumping on a trampoline in Jesus jeans, coach, that that opinion may change a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We had a nice comment here from Will Hollett, and he said it was an honor to watch you, coach. You shaped my childhood. We are not what we are today without you. So, a lot of uh, a lot of gracious fans here in the chat. Very grateful for. Uh, for you coming on here tonight, you got you got any last any last questions for him? Or look, as look. we as Roddy tries to find that uh that picture or video, <laughs> we'll try and stall a little bit here. Well, it, it's okay. I mean, look, like Co Coach is my guy. I mean, he he knows he's my guy. I love the man. He uh oh, Coach, I don't know if you can see it, but I think he's got it. I don't know if you can see <laughs> oh, it. No. I was about to be real nice to you as well. Play this, Roddy. <laughs> Run that back. That was him, Roddy. Run it back. Coach. Coach. Hey. You were not a bad-looking dude back in the day, though. I ain't going to lie to you. Oh, I, I was the man now. <laughs> all, you had, all you had to do is ask me. All I had to do is ask me. <laughs> all right. Roddy, I, I'll try to be serious and take him off. Right. One more thing. One, one more thing, guys. All right. All right, lay it on. I've up. got my line from Nacho Libre. All right. Well, Here we we're go. Ready. Nacho Libre and his, his buddy El Skeletor. All right, they're a tag team match, and they're in their first match, and there's a time when they were doing well, and the fans started cheering, Nacho, Nacho, Nacho. 
So in the in, in and so they're in the locker room after the match, and uh, and Nacho Libre comes out and talks to El Skeletor and says, "Hey, do you remember when the crowd was calling my name, and I used my strength to rip my blouse?" And then El Skeletor said, "Yeah," and then they knocked you unconscious. Okay. <laughs> This show has not ended where I thought it was going to end tonight. Not at all. It's great. Oh, look, it's golden. Look, Coach Rick is the man. He's yeah. the reason I went to University of Georgia. Not that it matters to the majority of people watching, but for the Tanner family, my pops was on here earlier. Big Ed said to tell you hello, Coach. Yes, sir. And, uh, and, and, you know, Coach Rick was was a big part of me coming to Georgia. And it wasn't just because of the excellent. He was the, the young coach who was hot. We just saw his YouTube video. We know he was hot in more ways than one. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, he, he brought this vision to Georgia and really cast out what a group of men could do together. They got on the same page and fought for the same purpose and did it with integrity and character. And I think the reason we talked about at the beginning of the show, the coaches beloved, because he did everything he did with integrity and character. And he did it without hesitation and without changing who he was. Now, people get it really confused. They, they say, Coach Rick, one of his issues, he was just too nice. Like, Coach is very nice, but that's a fiery dude right there. He's very competitive. I've seen him get really angry. If you ever made him cuss at practice, you know it was a bad day because it got really bad, and you really got on his bad side. But the way he carried himself, the way that he presented what was expected of us as, as men on his team changed the lives of everybody. Ryan Rankin's commenting on here. I've seen several of our guys that played for Coach throughout the years playing on here. And then he took the program to a level we hadn't been before. He talked a lot about in that 01 season about knocking the glass ceiling off the program, taking it to a place where it hadn't been before. And all of a sudden he gets here. And from 02 to 05, we played for the SC championship three times and won it twice. The SEC did not get the respect back then nationally that it does now. If you win the SEC twice, you're in the national championship game in the current age of college football. So um, great coach, great man. I'm glad he's a friend. I'm glad he doesn't eat cheese balls anymore. I'm glad he knows Nacho Libre. And uh, I love I love Mark Rick. So yeah. I'm glad he came out here with us tonight. Yeah, Coach Rick, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I, I grew up watching, you know, the Rick era of Georgia football, looked up to this pro the program a lot, yes. looked up to you a lot. So uh, one of the reasons why I went to UGA and graduated from there. So from the bottom of my, of my heart, thank you as well. Um, can't can't express my thanks enough. So, yeah. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. You did ruin my date night, but other than that, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> hey, there's the night is young, coach. Just go wake me up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for All tuning right, I'll in. See y'all later. Yes, Appreciate Coach Rick, it, thank you so much. Um, yeah, just great show here tonight, Russ. Uh, hey, yeah, gone. Just an absolute like that. legend on. Um, right. Yeah, so thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to tune in, Dogs and Hogs, next week. We got some, we got some more guests coming on. You want? Yeah, ne next week, man. Our our man, uh, DG David Green is going to be back on. Uh, Drew Butler is going to be on probably the week after that with us, and uh, maybe we'll get Coach to come back on again later on down the road. He's uh, he's got more stories than than we had time to tell tonight. So yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah, that's good stuff. Sweet. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week. Like, subscribe, comment, um, do all the things. Uh, we're just super, uh, super grateful for you fans for tuning in uh, every single Wednesday night. So thank you guys, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. But until then, as always, Russ, go dogs, go dogs.